Welcome to another episode of A Lady and Some Dudes podcast. I am your host for today, Alan, and we have a special guest in the building. Now, I know it's been a while since we had an interview, but you know, it's it's time to bring some new faces in. It's a new year, it's 2022. Let me just go ahead and just explain the guest that we have. He's a former Arizona State basketball player he played in 93 to 97 he played overseas for six different teams he's he's a he's a coach but not just a coach he's a hall of fame coach inducted in the riverside sports hall of fame uh the current sbvc head coach quincy brewer thank you for joining us this evening thanks for having me i appreciate it no problem and normally you know, like I've, I've seen what your resume looks like, but before we get into all of that, like, let's, let, let's just allow you the opportunity to just talk about like, how did this basketball journey begin? Like, what was the influences? Oh man, I've been fortunate to, um, you know, just really have an inner passion of basketball since age seven or eight. You know, I grew up playing in the parks and, you know, playing in the middle school leagues back in the days when kids got cut and they couldn't pay to play. And, uh, you know, grew up, grew up in the city, uh, played at a park called Bobby Bonds Park coming up and just, you know, just played sports, man, and just competed. You know, I went to a great high school, play, played for a great high school coach, uh, played around great high school players. Uh, basically was fortunate enough to go into Arizona State, got there, again, great coaches and great players, uh, just an outstanding academic and athletic institution, you know, just had a ball there. Our, our team in 95 went to the NCAA tournament. Uh, you know, we ended up going to the Sweet 16. Probably had about three guys on that team that went to the NBA. Had about seven or eight, or eight other guys that actually went to go on and, you know, play over in Europe. You know, you know, just been blessed with some, you know, great coaches and uh, great people. And, you know, in this business over the past 40 years, I guess you can say, you know, I've been able to cultivate some great relationships. So it's a beautiful game. You know, I feel in, in my heart that God has blessed us with, you know, basketball is the tool that we use to feed our families. It's a tool that we use to be able to, you know, serve people and help people. And it's just a wonderful game. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, that's, a, that's a good story. Great, great things to hear. Um, <clears throat> so uh, once again, my name is Evan. Uh, once again, thank you for hopping on the pod. I'm actually bold enough to say San Bernardino, San Bernardino Valley, California. Uh, there you go. Yeah, I'm very familiar. I have family out in that area, so I'm familiar with it. Uh, when you first fell in love with the game of basketball, when did you realize it was more than just a passion, but you could take this to the next level? You know, again, I grew up in a great era of basketball, you know, uh, 86, 87, when they had, you know, Mac Johnson and Larry Bird going back and forth. You had guys that, you know, played on the same team for very long periods of time. Uh, you also had a concept called illegal defense. So, you know, guys had to actually play defense on a wing and guard somebody. And then you had Jordan come up and you had Isaiah Thomas, Dominique Wilkins. It's just, it was just a really, really great brand of basketball. And that's what made me love the game so much, just watching those players and then going out on the parks trying to emulate them. And then also having some basketball success myself. Cool, cool, cool. Once again, Coach Brewer, thank you for coming on so long. So it's been a long while for setting this up and appreciate your time. And I know Coach Brewer because he take care of my brother. My brother and him are best friends. And Absolutely. They, they're brothers. So I always, when I see him, I thank him for taking care of my little brother. But Coach, during your time, 
what made you, what was that, that, that epiphany that said, Hey, I could actually go to the next level, you know, from middle school, from elementary school, middle school, then high school, what there was an epiphany that said, Hey, I could take it to college or that moment that gave you, I separate you from everyone else. You know, yeah, I wouldn't say that there was a moment. I would say that I grew up in a household with a mother who uh, always taught me to dream. So even at age 47, I still have dreams and I still have goals. So I would say that, you know, ever since I was seven, eight years old, um, obviously my first love was football. You know, I was a, I was a very good tight end. I love to hit, I love to play, you know, and I, and I should stop playing at age 13 or so, but, you know, just really having a passion for sports. So I don't know if there was one particular moment basically that I knew that I would go to the next level because I always planned to go to the next level because I was taught to, you know, always call things into existence and to always see yourself moving up. So, you know, if I was a pinpoint and maybe it was in the fourth grade or the fifth grade, just, you know, kind of almost being out there in grade school and everybody's picking the kids on the team and you're always getting picked first. You know, I'm starting to hear more and more people from that area on the West Coast, like football is their first love. Like you hear that from Matt Barnes and you start to hear that from more and more people and, and, it's, and it's interesting. And um, I just want to just ask the question. Uh, <laughs> immediately, I thought about Phil's story about what made him stop. And I'm pretty sure it's not <laughs> the same as yours. But um, my question is, as you said, like you just felt like you were destined to go to that next level. What was your your recruiting uh, situation looking like? So we know you went to Arizona State, but what was that yeah. process like for you? Yeah, again, it was a great process. Um, at age 14, going from the ninth grade into the 10th grade, there's a person right now that I consider my father. His name is Alvin Hunter, and he came into my life. And uh, God's so good. It was, it, was, it was no coincidence that my father biological father left and then god blessed me with another individual who isn't isn't my father by blood but he's still my father today so that summertime and that springtime he started to take me down into the city you know over in compton california to la to play versus some of the top players in the country so i went from being a no voice player you know to basically having offers probably within the span of about maybe six months you know so granted at age 14 years old 15 years old I was in California playing versus the top players in the state and just got recognized because see back then there wasn't any rules as far as them coming out to see they were able to come out Fridays and come out Saturdays and Sundays and, and, and you know Mondays and Tuesdays so every single Saturday and Sunday over in the LA area there were games in the spring and they also had NBA rules so it was a show man it was a show I mean it was it was great times and great players and uh so that was kind of what almost springboarded me into being not recruited to being recruited. Just real quick for a follow-up. Uh, do you remember like who were the top guys in the LA area at that particular oh, yeah. time? Absolutely. Guys who were, who were my age and maybe a year older, you had guys like Jock Vaughn, you had guys like Ed O'Bannon, you had guys like Charles O'Bannon, you have myself up north, very good point guard named Jason Kidd. Uh, there were some great players in California. Harold Miner was another one. He's about three years older than me, four years older than me, but those guys were legends. So um, when you got to Arizona State, 
what was it like that first practice? Did you feel like overwhelmed or you felt like, oh man, I belong here? Oh no, we had um, very hard practices in high school. So, so that didn't bother me at all. You know, our um, high school coach did a great job in terms of conditioning and weight training. So I was completely prepared for that. There was like no like adjustment, it, you know, basically the game wasn't too fast for me. The guys weren't too big or strong. The weight room wasn't an issue. We actually did a mile, um, you know, on our first day on the track, you know, it's Arizona, it's about 107 degrees. And, you know, granted, with all due respect, I was in first place. You know, I think that I ended up doing my mile maybe in like five minutes and 15 seconds. So that part of the game, you know, it just, that part of the game was never an issue for me. Ooh, Alan stole my question, but <laughs> so tell us just overall, just tell us how about, you know, we've heard, we heard that your, your experience thus far was, was, was smooth integration, but how was it when you donned that Arizona State um, jersey and played your first game? How was that feeling was? How was that experience? You know, it was a great experience. I dealt with some injuries uh, at ASU. Uh, basically came in as a freshman, got hurt, you know, trained for the whole offseason, came back in, again as a natural redshirt freshman, uh, got hurt again. So I, so I didn't come back until maybe the 20th game of the season. We were at home playing against UCLA. And I got out there and, and you know, I was playing good. I made a three and, and you know, just seeing how, you know, just the level of intensity, you know, in that environment and, and you know, being on TV and uh, it's a great experience, man. You know, and it's, and it's something that, that, you know, as a former student athlete, you'll never forget, you know, just actually hearing the crowd cheer and just, you know, being on TV. It was, it was a great time and a great experience. Like most people wouldn't think you're at Arizona State. You're in the Pac-12. So yeah. you have all these blue bloods that, you're you're going against and i'm thinking about it i'm not sure if this is accurate i might be wrong but i don't think you played that ucla team to where they had uh watson and baron davis you were nah. you were you around or those was that guys are, yeah yeah so those guys are younger than me but um that team we ended up playing that year that she won a national championship so <laughs> i mean you know those guys weren't on that team as far as the Baron Davises, but they actually had a player named Ed O'Bannon who was phenomenal. They had a guy named Charles O'Bannon, his brother who was phenomenal. They had a good coach and coach Herrick. They had a really, really loaded uh, roster. And again, back then it was called the Pac-10 because they didn't have uh, Utah and also CU in the conference. So as you're playing, at what point do you realize the NBA may not be in my future? And what was your yeah. next next thoughts after you realized NBA not, may not be in my future? You know, I um, went into my senior year um, playing very well, had a great summertime. Uh, you know, I came back, you know, I think over the first five or six games of the season, I was averaging about 16 points a game. I was getting some, some, some calls in from some different NBA teams. And, you know, I was under the impression that this is what I was going to do for the next 10 years, 15 years of my life. And um, went up, we're playing at home, and went up for a rebound. I grabbed the ball, <clears throat> and a guy turned, and he, and he just kind of elbowed me. And his elbow went into my thumb, and my thumb just completely went down. And I was on the bench with a thumb that was, that was, you know, tore, you know, and the bone was out. So I had worked for the whole summertime to, you know, come in as a senior, actually have a good year, and get drafted, and it didn't happen. You know, but 
I always knew growing up that I was going to not play basketball. So for me, it wasn't that detrimental because I was always a good student in the classroom. My whole concept in terms of going to school, and this is what I also teach my current players, is that when you go to the four-year school, you know, if you're a pro, you want to leave there with two pieces of paper, okay? You want to have a degree, first and foremost, and then, you know, basically you want to have a definite pro contract. So I went in with that mindset, and I told my mom that, that that's, you know, I'm going there for a degree, and I'm going there for a definite pro contract. So I was still able to accomplish my goals. It just wasn't on the NBA level. So I'd probably say, you know, in that senior year, I was thinking like, you know, wow, like maybe it may not happen, you know, because in life is filled with adversity. You know, it happens to you. You overcome it, you overcome it, you overcome it. You don't want to think negative. But at that time, literally when that injury hit me, you know, I was thinking like, look, you know what? Um, maybe there may be a, you know, uh, a blessing in, in this or else, or else I should a different path in life. Wow, it's great to know that you pivot uh, towards that that during that injury because I know it's hard and being one a great athlete. But I want to ask about some of your teammates you played with. Um, yeah, Mike and Eddie House. <laughs> I think Mike. When, um, uh, Basin. I think it's Basin. I'm probably pronouncing pronounce his name wrong. Oh, Mike. Okay, so that's Mike Batiste played after okay. me. Um, I played with Eddie House for a year. Right. You know his his freshman year. I was a senior. And um, he's as advertised. Came in, you know, freshman field with a confidence. He's a great teammate, uh, very, very hard worker, just an outstanding shooter, an outstanding shooter. Actually, man, I probably had a conversation with him about three months ago. Uh, great guy, great guy, but a really, really hard worker. And everybody knew as a freshman that he was going to be special. Yeah, that 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 guy played some pivotal roles on some championship team. So <laughs> yeah, big time <laughs> shooter, big time scorer. Yeah, I, st I still always remember him slapping. No, no, Rafer offered slapping him inside the head. Though that's always like in my back of my head when I think about that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think the other player that maybe you were asking about maybe was Mario Bennett. Was it Mario Bennett? Yes, Mario Bennett. Oh, Mario Bennett. Mario Bennett. You know, again. Um, <laughs> Probably uh, probably one of the most underrated Sun Devils to ever play the game mm. at Arizona State. Um, six foot nine athlete, uh, played, hurt for almost his entire career. You know, he had surgery on both knees. He had, you know, torn ACLs, torn meniscus. You know, he played, hurt. Uh, he the last Sun Devil during my era to actually lead his team to the Sweet 16. He was a catalyst on our team that year. Um, just a phenomenal, talented player, phenomenal, talented player, but also a great human being. I was about to transition, but then another question just popped up. So the team that you were on, I believe maybe, correct me if I'm wrong, it was maybe your sophomore, junior season. Um, sophomore year. Mm -hmm. Sophomore year. Yes. Uh, you went to the NCAA tournament. Mm -hmm. um, what's it? What's the emotion like being in the big dance? You know, it's it's uh, surreal. You know, you you show up at the airport and there's people there waiting at the airport to cheer you on. You you will go and get on a charter bus and you get an escort from from that town's local police department to your hotel. Um, you go into a shoot around and there's fans there at the shoot around asking to sign autographs. You come back to the hotel, same thing, escort, and then it's game time, it's show time. 
and and it's just a great experience man i mean it's a it's a it's a great experience i want to jump in because you played against the team i lost was against kentucky and yes. kentucky had about six seven nba pros yeah tony mm-hmm. dirk um yep. ron ron's um was it ron um mercer mercer yeah michael pope antonio yeah. walker jeff shepherd yeah. And yeah. Scotty Page, so y'all didn't just y'all y'all played against. It was probably two. I'm including yourself and and uh, Mario versus seven NBA players. <laughs> so, and y'all went yeah, to the well, second round. Well, again, um, that team was so good, and, mm-hmm. and this is this is what people don't understand about the depth of that team and how basketball changed. That team was so good that it was a guy named Antoine Walker who couldn't get off the bench. Mm. That's how good that team was. And our team was special. We had a phenomenal team. team. I think I think that year we ended up in the season being ranked seventh in the country or, or eighth in the country. Just overall yeah. rankings after they won a the championship, we were seventh or eighth in the country. And that team was so good, so good that a guy like Antoine Walker wasn't really even on the scout report, wasn't even playing. You know, but it shows you how basketball has changed, how how impatient people are. Because if that would have, you know, if that would have basically occurred today, in the middle of the season, the kid would have transferred out there. Yeah. You know, but um, that team was so so deep. They had a really really good team. They were ranked number one that year. Yeah. But just mm-hmm. the accomplishment, just to get to past the first two round, and I think it was the sweet. It was a sweet sixteen. Y'all made it. The sweet yeah. sixteen. Yeah. Yep. Sweet yeah, sixteen. So- Third round, actually. Third, third round. round. Yep. Yeah. Third round. Mm-hmm. Sweet sixteen. So that's a big feat. Sorry, Evan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, when you played overseas, what was that experience mm-hmm. like? Was it was it as you expected? Was it interesting, or was it just like you know, like college? Uh, first of all, it, it is nothing like college. <laughs> Let me be frank. Um, it's a business. It's a business. You come in, and, and if you're not performing, you get cut, you get fired. There's high expectations. Um, you know, it was a great experience for me just being in different countries and, and, and meeting new people and just traveling the world. But, um, you know, it's the real deal. And, and there's certain countries over there where the practices are, I mean, like they work extremely hard, you know, two, three hour practices, you know, and I also give the kids a chance to get better. I would probably say that that was the time that. I probably got better because all I did was basketball. You know, there was no homework. There was, wasn't anything to do. So, you know, it was a great experience for me. And it also has helped me a lot as a coach. Being overseas and then just seeing like how the NBA, well, probably during that time, but when you look at the NBA now, would you say um, the way the NBA kind of was in the 90s, the physicality, and we also here in the NBA now is less physical because of how they're calling the game. Would you say even in the, the time that you went overseas, the physicality is probably the still the same as advertised? Um, to me, you know, obviously I can't say how physical the NBA is because I'm not coaching there and I don't play there. So I really can't say if it's, if it's more physical then or now. You know, that's kind of like a, a, a statement to make that, you know, I can assume that, okay, right now 
it's not as physical, you know, mainly because everybody plays outside. But but to me, it's like when you're playing versus the best players in the world, there's more weight training now. Guys are bigger and stronger. You know, it could equate to it being as physical, you know, you know, because guys are still going to the basket. They're getting bumped. Their screens being set. The players now are so much more bigger and stronger and more explosive now because of weight training. So I can't say if it's more explosive now or back then because I haven't coached there and I haven't played there. So when did you decide, you said that playing overseas helped you, you know, really helping your coaching. When did you decide that, man, I think, I think I wanted to do this coaching thing. You know what? Um, I played until I was maybe 27 years old and, and, you know, I came home and, and I kind of had always wanted to start on my own business. And I kind of came home and, you know, again, like so many athletes, you kind of have that, you know, it's like a period of almost depression where you're like, man, you know, I'm not playing anymore. I've been playing since I've been, you know, seven, eight years old and I'm not playing anymore. So what am I going to do? So I kind of got involved in some, in some different things. And, you know, again, I always say that, that, you know, God is going to always lead you to your gifts. You know, it's something like every single thing that I've done that's been worth anything, I haven't tried to do it. You know, it's, it, it's almost basically been put in front of me. So I have an individual who I'm a cousin with at that time. He was a high school coach and he called me up. His name is Anthony Jones. He called me up and said, Hey man, you know, I just got a job at the high school level and I want you to come over here and work with me. I said, coach in high school. He says, yeah, you know, I want you to come over here and, and, and uh, coach with me because I need some help. And, and, you know, at that time it was a um, brand new high school. You know, it only had, I think, the ninth and 10th grade. So we got there and, you know, basically by our second year, we had one of the better programs in the area. You know what I mean? So I did that. And then, you know, there actually was an individual named Mike Meese who, who was going to be a principal at a high school. And he, and he called me up and, and, you know, he kind of told me about the job over there. So I then basically went over there and interviewed for the job. So I actually had my own program. And, you know, it wasn't anything that I was studying for or, or, you know, I was practicing trying to get skills as a coach. It kind of just came to me, you know, naturally. And we came out, you know, I, you know, I think I was there for three years. We ended up winning like 72 games, maybe losing like, you know, 14, 15 games, something like that, ranked number four in the state. And it was just done overnight, you know, but I just really enjoy, you know, player development. You know, I, I enjoy, and I still enjoy meeting with players in my office and just, you know, giving them the opportunity to change. You know, I enjoy cultivating a, individual um, program for, for each player on the team to help him improve in his academics, you know, in his, in his, in his jump shot, in his right hand, his offense. So that's kind of my gift, gift, gift that I have just naturally. You know, it's just been given to me to where I, I can speak to a person and, and, you know, I can kind of get them to end up seeing themselves, you know, uh, a month away, two months away, et cetera. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, God just have a plan for you. Now... You're currently at San Bernardino, I say yes. right, San Bernardino Valley College, yes, sir. Atlantic, yes, sir. and you're also a Hall of Famer. Yes. Now, based upon your 80% winning, 80% <laughs> winning percentage, you have to understand, yeah. in college, 80% winning percentage is unheard of. A Hall of Famer, Council's Championship, Awards, what was the highlight of your career thus, thus far? Again. To me, the, the greatest fulfillment that I get in this job is um, seeing, you, you know, the, the kids that I've coached seven, seven years ago, eight years ago, one year ago, two years ago, they all call me, you know, and they, 
and they thank me and they say, coach, you know, um, I didn't quite understand it when you were, you know, doing this and doing that, but now I get it and I'm able to basically apply it to my life. So that's the primary reason why I got in coaching. I mean, obviously everybody wants to win and, and you know, move up and, and make money. But, but, but to me, it's like, that's, that's probably the most gratifying um, thing, thing that I can be used for when, when, you know, obviously you come into a person's life and they're going this way and then I'm being used as a tool to get them back on track. I guess Phil did service since he stole my question. Cause I was going to talk, <laughs> I was going to ask about the relationship component. Yeah. And as I was just, just looking over um, just everything that you've done, I've never heard of this, but you've had 10 conference MVPs as a head coach. Um, like, that is, again, that is I've been, I've been heard yeah. of. Yeah, I've been I've been blessed with some <laughs> really good players, you know, and and um, one thing about all those guys that's very unique, <clears throat> excuse me, is that they're all underdogs. They were the guy to where if at the beginning of the year, if you said, hey, you know, this guy's going to go to San Diego College and do ABCDG, nobody would have believed it, you know. So so I've been blessed with talent. Talent. Um, I have great assistant coaches. Um, I have great high school coach friends. I have great coaches who are AU coaches who are great friends and do a phenomenal job. So that's more so uh, a tribute to their success and, and, you know, them helping me because if you don't have good people around you, you're going to be, <laughs> you know, not very successful in this business very long at all. So earlier you stated that you still, you know, at, at 47 years old, still have dreams. So what is the future hold for Coach Brewer? Um, and I have dreams. There's, there's uh, most of the dreams that I have that are big dreams. I've been taught by God to make sure that I end up keeping them to myself. But um, dreams that I have that I that I should share with with the people is is uh, being a being an individual that that just really really makes an impact in this world in terms of changing people's thought process, just really helping them have a paradigm shift. You know, I have a player right now who's six for 11 from Houston. Um, you know, he came in, he weighed like 315 pounds, 120 pounds. We got him down now to like 260, you know, and he's, you know, and he's feeling better about himself. He's, you know, he's thinner, he's running the floor harder, you know, just, just, just like seeing that and having him appreciate it right now, which is not always the case. You know, those are my main goals that I have is to serve people. You know what I mean? It's to, it's to serve people and to really help them change, you know, because I'm in a position that I'm in now, mainly because I've had people who have been around me that have helped me change. That sounds great and awesome. Um, but to answer your, answer your question, I would love to run my own Division One program one day. That was the question I was trying to figure out. My, how can I? That's my goal on this level. I would, I, you know, I've actually been close in some um, interviews and, and, you know, I would say that my goal is to be able to run my own uh, program on the division one level, you know, be successful, go back to the NCAA tournament as a coach, you know, and actually help players graduate, you know, and also go pro. That's great. That's great. You actually answered my question. I was <laughs> asking you. <laughs> I was trying to go a roundabout way of saying because um we had speedy um we had speedy Claxon on our show and um he was at Hosford and I asked him the same thing. I said, Do you have any desires to go to the NBA? 
And he said no. And at the time he was an assistant and lo and behold, he became head coach at Hasfer. So I think I had some lucky <laughs> something, oh. you know, about that. This might might happen, you know, coming yeah. on. So um does this feed um, my question really is, and we have asked Pyrenee coaches, um, how you handle the pandemic, you know, especially <laughs> in 2020 and now. How's that and and how's that affect your program and even recruiting? You know, um, it's been tough on everybody. So, so I think that the first thing that I've done in this is that one, I'm not going to be a victim of this. I'm not going to be a victim of this, and it is not going to control my emotions. That those those are probably the two main pillars that I said I was going to implement. For instance, a month ago, we're we're like playing well, we're doing good, and and we're like breaking through, and you know we're just just playing phenomenal and then all of a sudden we go on a break for seven days we come back and we get shut down twice you know so during those times of shutdown literally what i've learned to do is i learned to put just good information in my mind through books you know working out exercising and just finding different ways to mentor my student athletes you know but the main thing that i've learned in this pandemic is that i'm not going to be a victim of it and it's not going to control how I feel. You know, I'm not going to allow it to make me depressed. I'm not going to allow it to make me depressed. Um, so as you have kind of been developing talent uh, and helping guys get to that, achieve their, I guess, their, their greatest selves, um, how, have, how have you kind of seeing what directions have you seen your players go in after they finished have they even gone into coaching or what have they gone into good question you know what i have kids um you know that are involved in in everything we have kids that are involved in real estate probably actually one of the closest actual relationships that i have with a kid is a kid named alex jacob who played for me as a freshman uh got upset because i wasn't playing him at him you know at the right position uh played only for, a year for me, stopped playing basketball, went over to UCLA as a student only, uh, graduated from there, moved on, worked for the LA Lakers for about two years. And he and I probably met up about four years ago. And he's a wholesaler in, in real estate. And he's educated me and he's helped me out with my portfolio in real estate. He's kind of almost a mentor to me. So that part of it has been phenomenal. We also have kids who are teachers. We have kids who are, you know, coaches. We have kids who are attorneys you know we've had a lot of kids that have moved on and and doing really really good for themselves and i've also had 13 pros too <laughs> i guess i hop in real quick so what would your message because some people hear about juco but what would be your message to someone who may have to maybe leave like a D1 school and come to JUCO, like what would be the message that you would have for that player to be able to get right back on track? Hmm, that's a good question. My main message would be to um, make sure that you are choosing the right school and to also understand that it won't be easy. <laughs> we have a lot of kids, like, like even now on our team, we currently had a kid who was at a division one on scholarship and he's third string at his position. He's third, like, you know, he's our third best player at that position. 
So I would just inform him, you know, and, and you know, first and foremost, make sure that you choose a program that's going to help you graduate. You know, that's going to help you move on in life. And I would tell him too that, you know, it won't be as easy as you think it's going to be. So I want to ask you, how's recruitment going? Um, I know because you have a, a literally a, a, what average two, three years, maybe. And um, <laughs> two, three years, maybe a year. Or, or that's what I'm years. saying. We so how we have a turnover <laughs> every year, man. So we see that's all. That's a good I thing. tell people this all the time. And, and I have friends who have moved on. And every level of coaching is challenging mm -hmm. and difficult. But mm -hmm. this level of coaching, it's a beast. I mean, literally, you're formulating a new team every single year. You formulate a new team, so you got to bring guys in in July and August, and you got to break them down, get them in the weight room, and, and you know, teach them a new system. And and certain times, you have to create a new system based on your personnel. Mm -hmm. So, so it's 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 challenging, man. I mean, I mean, it's been a great. I mean, it's been an outstanding teaching tool. Like it's turned me into a better coach. You know, you know, offensively, defensively, in terms of my overall verbal communication, you know, just, just everything, because it forces you to learn everything and do everything. You answered my question on that. So how is, how do you recruit? Because now it seems a little challenging. You said you have, a, it's literally, it's, it's like a, it's a high turnover rate, right? Every year you got to get a new class, new class in educate. So how is your recruitment? How does it go? Well, I mean, I mean, again, it's all based on us having the right relationships, mm -hmm. you know, basically with the right people you know so so that's high school coaches AU coaches that's having outstanding relationships with guys who are four-year coaches who may basically have a kid transferring out and leaving you know so one thing about being a coach on, on, on this level or on any level is that you're always on the phone I mean you're always on the phone and, and you know networking and speaking to people and you know again I've actually done it for so long and there's no shortage of good players you know there's no shortage of good players so just a matter of man, it's just like constantly staying on it, man. Well, coach, I think I do have one more okay. question for you. Now, Phil did mention um, that you were in the Hall of Fame and well, in, in Riverview or Riverside Sports. Um, not many people end up being inducted into the hall of fame like what's what's your thought process of all the work that you put in turning around a program um winning winning at the percentage that you have like as you even as you're still coaching like do you often think about like the work that i put in is is it's i won't say that it's enough but it's been worth the effort no I would say that, that um, you know, again, that's a very easy question to answer. And in answering that, it, you know, it's just a very, very short phrase. And it's, I'm just getting started. I'm just getting started. You know, I want to go as long as I possibly can go because I love doing it. I love walking in the gym and actually hearing, you know, shoes screech. And I just love what I do. I, I just love basketball, but I also love what basketball can do for people. And basketball is a very unique sport because people that don't have money, you can advance in it. You know, I basically have dollars right now that are in volleyball. And, and if I wasn't blessed with a certain salary, they would never be able to play. They would never be able to play volleyball on the level right now that they're playing on because there's no avenue for people that don't have money. 
And that's why I love the game of basketball because a poor kid like me from, you know, East Side Riverside, I was fortunate enough to have people take me under their wing. And I just love the game of basketball. And, and I just pray and hope that God can just use me for a very long time. Well, coach, I thank you for coming, but we do this with all of our guests. Who's your GOAT? <laughs> My GOAT? Come on, man. My GOAT. Ooh, that's that's not a very that's not a very fair question to ask. On the spot. Okay. It's a lot but of pressure. It's, it's but, a lot of pressure. I mean, it's it's subjective if to you're everyone. Ask me who the GOAT is. Mm-hmm. Is that by position or 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 is no, that just overall, 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 overall? So so if I had a blank roster and if I was the owner of the team and if I could pick any player in their prime, who would I choose? Correct. Right. Yes. And if basically my family had to, you know, eat off of the way that that individual performed, it would be Michael Jordan, hands down. <laughs> I mean, I mean, look, again. <laughs> we all we all are going to agree. Like, look, this is how yeah. I always put it. I always say Michael Jordan's the GOAT, but on a lower scale, Allen Iverson is my GOAT. But Michael Jordan's I love Allen Iverson. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love Iverson, but. Yeah, that's, that's know, what I'm saying. Like, I'm like. That question like, is so hard to answer. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's just so hard to answer because you, like, you had a great player like a Dominique Wilkins. You know, what would have happened mm-hmm. if he would have played for Phil Jackson? You know, there's just been so you know, like like Bird. What would happen if Bird was in the weight room like LeBron James is in the weight room? If they had that back then, what would Larry Bird have been? Oh my god! Like, could you imagine what what he would have been if he was in the weight room and if he was stretching and eating and just doing all these different things kinesthetically? Could you imagine what he would have been? Oh my god! You know, there's just been so many. It's kind of almost an unfair question to answer because it's somewhat conditional. It's just situational. There's been some great players. Some right. great players, some great players, and to and to say that you know even a player like Jason Kidd and, and all of my LA Lakers fans give me a hard time, but just think of Jason played with Kareem and James Worthy. Mm. Oh my! And just think if, if if Jason played, you know, for Pat Riley, you know, if he came in, he's 19 years old, and you know it's 1980, and and you know he's a six foot four, 220 pound, you know, point guard who's just quick as I don't know what. Just think if he had all that action around him, coming down on the break, throwing passes like he passed, and just locking up full court. You may say that he's one of the greatest ever, you know. But being great, it's just situational, man. So the only person I can say that just, you know, just flat out, hands down, is Michael Jordan because of how he did it. Like you go away for a year or two, you leave for a year or two, man. You leave and go do, you know, baseball for a year or two, and then you come back and you smash the people, and then you leave again and come back again. Come on, man. Come on, come on. No. We we not even had this conversation. You know what I mean? We not even had this conversation, man. We're not even like, you know. <laughs> hey, <laughs> anyway, we, I'm a Lakers fan, by the way. You know what I mean? But 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 you look at just his disposition and his ability to remain calm in those hostile situations, and just how he treated the Knicks. You know what I mean? Like he killed himself. Like he killed the Knicks so much. Like they had to celebrate him at the end of his career and, and they had to bow down and say, Mike, you know what, Mike, man. And, and, and then Mike said, look, you know what, I'm going to go back and I'm going to wear my retro Nikes from, you know, 1988 in my last game and just give y'all 50. You can't, you can't not put anybody. The only player that I can say from a talent perspective that I've seen that may be able to deal, you know, physically and mentally that may be able to deal with him is Kobe. 
You know what I mean? But I think Michael kind of had an advantage because he was able to palm the ball. You know what I mean? He was just able to palm the ball and he was probably a better defender. Kobe's probably a better shooter. But but you know, Kobe may have been, you know, you know, just the mental aspect of his game, you know, just 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 like mentally, you know, but both of those guys had one thing in common. They played for great coaches. And not saying that Jason Kidd didn't have a great coach, but if you put Jason Kidd with a young Pat Riley, with Lou Alcindor, James Worthy, Byron Scott, AC Green. Mm. <laughs> you know, he's in the form and, 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 and you know, Inglewood running that break, you know, doing all this stuff. Hey, you know, his numbers may have been as good as Magic's. Because, because he was that good. He mm-hmm. was that good. He was that good, man. I've seen him do some passes. Oh I still God. remember he did a pass that literally, it looked like it was skipping on the floor and at the last second skipped right into Kenya Martin hand. I was like, is that possible? And even the five seconds you, when he was on the Knicks, he, he, that helped the team go almost to the um, second round of playoff. But yeah, Jay-Z yeah. Kenny was phenomenal. He would dominate the game. Yeah. And, and then especially, you know, he had like seven points. He had 14, <laughs> 15, 19 rebounds. And like, you would leave the gym thinking like, man, you know, I just got entertained. <laughs> uh-huh. You know what I mean? Nice so, 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 so in answering that question, I would say to you, that that's a situational conditional question that that can't be proved but but just on the scope of things michael jordan michael jordan and i respect everybody but you know to say that anybody was on his level is is very alarming to me i would i would you know you know i would you know i find that very alarming even though i love lebron james i love everybody but you know just People forget, you know what I mean? People, people, people like, you know, they forget when he was palming that, that ball with his tongue, like people forget, you know, just, you know, you know, just how he just blocked Ewing shot. And I know all of you guys, <laughs> you guys are all Knicks fans probably. No, Phil, Phil's the only one. I mean, he's having PTSD Ewing right now. And, 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 you know, just his gamesmanship, like, like he would go eat dinner with you before the like, game started off. Hey man, you know, hey man, he's some steak and lobster. And then if I want to court, He's turned turned into a killer, man. I just, you know, I just really appreciated his work ethic and his approach to basketball. You know, but but he was fortunate. He was fortunate that he played for a great coach. You know, see, see, Iverson played played for a great coach in Larry Brown. You know, but but you know he didn't play with Scottie Pippen. You know what I mean? He didn't have Lou Alcindor. He didn't have James Worthy. He didn't have AC Green, those things are like those things matter. They matter. So I have one last question. What's going on with your yeah. Lakers? What's going on with them? You know what, man? Um, <laughs> one thing I learned in, in, in a oh, you gotta answer that question. He just heard. He just heard you pass. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. gotta answer that question. You gotta answer that question. He's shooting, shooting back at me, right? What yeah. I learned is that is that is that in coaching, um, and this is humbling because early on in my career, I felt I felt like you know what. I'm so good that I can win with everybody, win with anybody, you know, and we've all felt that way a certain time in our career. And when you don't have the personnel that can cultivate the right chemistry to beat people, you can sit up until you can work from 8 p.m. until 4 o'clock in the morning and you won't beat anybody. So I just think that in coaching, you have to have the right personnel 
and obviously guys got to be healthy. You know what I mean? But the guys that you're coaching, you need to have the talent and you need to have guys who, who are pillars of a system that can help you go and beat somebody as a unit. And I don't think they have that right now. You made me want to ask one question, but I need to let yeah, you. Yeah, all night, man. All night. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll talk about this because this actually happened last night because I'm in Charlotte. Well, me, Evan, well, Phil, he's in Charlotte Concord. But there was a situation, and I'm glad you're on. There's a situation with James. I'm not sure if you know. You know who James Booknight is, right? He played for Who's UConn. That? No. Okay. So there was a situation yesterday um to where he's put in the game for 14 seconds about the end of the third quarter it's a blowout you're losing to Miami um he doesn't go back in they LaMelo didn't play he played like six minutes in the second half um is there a time well my question is how do you rail a young a young player in who's in a difficult spot Again, that's a great question. And I love answering questions like that. Now we're having a real podcast. Now we're having a, you know, everything else earlier was just kind of like, you know, answer questions about this and that. But now we're having a real podcast. So that's an easy question to answer. And it's easy for me to answer because as a sophomore, I was that player. So I was a sophomore at Arizona State and things weren't going my way. And um, there was a gentleman on staff named George McCorn, who's a big time coach, big time coach. He was at UNLV, you know, big time high school coach. And he called me in for a meeting and, and he and I went to go eat at a Chinese restaurant and he just sat there with me and just talked to me and he just loved on me and he just told me some things about myself personally off the court that I needed to, to, to do to improve myself off the court. And then he showed me how I fit into what he was trying to do. And he told me how important I was to him. You understand what I'm saying? So, so like, to me, I do that now. I have a kid. Uh, kid's name is Michael Mubarak. He's, he's Sudanese. He's from Seattle and he's on my team right now. Dude is like high major talented. Six one can like put you in the back and cross you over, can dunk on you. He can do anything that you like. He just got crazy talent, but he don't know how to play and he don't know how to win. Okay. So anytime that we're in a big game up to this point in the season, he's sitting down by me. Well, not by me, but he's on the bench, you know? So I've kept him around by first and foremost meeting with my staff and saying, look, you know what? We can't give up on this kid, man. We can't give up on this kid because first of all, he's a good person. And, and even though he's done things that are selfish, you know what I mean? He's done things that are, that are like not conducive of him being a part of a team. We as coaches got to look at our darkest moments and realize that we've had some hard-headed moments ourselves, okay? And we have to have mercy on him the same way that we expect for God to have mercy on us. So we have to continue to mentor this kid because the charge is to mentor this kid and try to figure out a way to help him get on the court. Is it easy? Heck no. Do I always want to do it? Absolutely not. But that's the charge of the coach, you know, is to deal with kids who will do things like him and to figure out a way to reach them. And I think that that's why guys like Pat Riley and Phil Jackson and, 
and you know Wilkins, you know, were just great coaches, not because of what they did on the floor, X's and O's, but because of their ability to work with kids like him, you know, and to and to and to figure out a way to, you know, help them get on the board because everybody wants to get on the board, you know, but everybody has a different plan and everybody has a different route in life. So in answer to that question, I would say that somebody on that staff needs to put put an attempt to sit down with him and, and you know, talk to him and, and figure out what's going on with him, you know what I mean? And to develop a relationship with this guy, you know, to figure out like, like you know, why is he moving the way he's moving? If you were a, if you were coaching and Ben Simmons was your player, what would you Who? say to him, Ben Simmons? What would oh, you no. say to him? Oh, oh, first and foremost, oh, if I had Ben Simmons, man, if I had Ben Simmons, <laughs> Ben, I love you. You're six foot ten. You're a great athlete. You can change the game with how hard you play. But I want to tell you about an individual who, at one point in his life, was was perhaps one of the smartest writers ever, and he attended Oxford College at a very very young age, and 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 you know you know literally he had everything at his feet. But, you know, he didn't focus on doing the small things. And Ben, what are some of the small things, Ben? Working on shooting. Being a great teammate. Having, having a, 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 you know, inner care and a passion and a desire to serve other people. Being able to take criticism and not reacting to every negative thing you say. So I'm going to challenge you to be one of the best. And I'm going to show you what Magic went through early on in his career when they were booing him in L.A. I'm going to show you what Kobe Bryant went, went through when early on they were booing him in L.A. when against Utah, he went up and missed those jumpers twice in a row. And then he goes back to Philadelphia in 2002 and he's an MVP and guess what? Everybody boos him. So I'm going to show you all the adversity, but more importantly, I'm going to show you what happened with Christ. And I'm going to show you how Christ didn't fight back because he understood what the mission was. And he understood how much work he had to put in to rise above all the nonsense. Because you're destined for greatness, man. You can be one of the greatest of all time. And, and, you know, again, I would feed that to him again, every single day, again, again, on the airplane, in the hotel room, before the game, after the game, at that time. I, I, you, know, you know, I would just get him to, and, you know, let's not think about money because you're set for life. Let's think about greatness. Let's think about be, you being one of the top 10 players to ever play the game. Let's think about you taking this city and putting it on your back and serving in every capacity you can serve in this city and just being great in that area too. I'm convinced. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. About to send you New York and, and talk to... Let's go, man. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'm oh, ready. Man. <laughs> I just want to ask this question, although it's the end of the podcast. It's going to be the end of the interview, but are you and John Mosley tight? Or no. And John Mosley is my brother from another mother. Don't because you know when that? I'm watching you, I'm seeing yeah. him right now. I'm not so, even playing. So he and I, so John Mosley, first and foremost, if you guys watched that documentary, I did. I want you to know something. That's who he really is. I want you to know that. And I also want you to know this. We were in Dallas. And we were at a recruiting event. He and I were there and we went outside. He says, man, Q, Netflix wants to, you know, end up doing a documentary on me. 
and, and he says, I don't want to do it. I said, John, because you don't want to do it, that's why God chose you to do it. I said, that's why you need to do this thing. Because he doesn't want the attention. It hasn't changed him at all one bit. One bit. And who he like who he was in that documentary, that's no fake stuff. That's who he really is, man. That's who he he, he really is. And you know, again, it's like he and I battle for kids. We go back and forth, and there's never been any neg- you know, anything negative said about anybody. What's so ironic is that I'll be sitting down in the, you know, in my office with a, you know, player, and then the player's dad or mom will say, "Hey, Coach Mosley, say, look, whatever you do, just make sure that you choose me or Quincy. Don't go anywhere else. Who does that? Who does that? Nobody. So <laughs> Nobody. that's the type of individual." that he is as a person, as a man of God, he's completely authentic. And I love that God. And I love what he's doing. As I said, as, as you've been talking, I've been seeing it. So like y'all, for y'all to be tight, I, I can see it because I'm like, yo, Thank you. I'm a, I'm a, I was like, I'm gonna ask this question, but it's just <laughs> like, it just like, it seems like y'all would be tight because it's just like, just hearing, hearing you talk. And then just me just think about when I watched it, I was like, they sound alike. I was like the situations that you described, like both both the U.S. coaches have to experience that to try to rail these kids in. So I was just okay. like, I feel like I'm hearing this again, but it's even better to hear from someone who actually knows them. You know what I right. mean? And it's also mm-hmm. a great inspiration to everyone to hear. So Coach Brewer, thank you for joining us today. This was actually a great interview, especially this last part because you was out here preaching. There's a lot of people who need to hear this. So I really can't wait for us to actually drop this episode. All right, gentlemen. But ladies and gentlemen, that concludes another episode of a Lady and Some Dudes podcast. We out. All right, fellas. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of a Lady and Some Dudes. Please remember to follow us, like, share. We are on Facebook and Instagram. Our Facebook handle is at a lady and that is the and sign, some dudes. Our handle on Instagram is a lady and some dudes. Everything is spelled out. So that's a lady, A and D, some dudes. Until next time. <laughs>